Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three of our talk on the GU track and pitfalls. The last thing I spoke about at part two, and this is part three, which is our last part, was about the challenges of polynephritis that with non-contrast CT, you can miss polynephritis. We also want to speak about renal abscesses. Now, renal abscesses are one of the things that CT is very good at. It's low density, often with cystic irregular walls. What's important with renal abscess I want to mention is they sometimes could look like cystic tumors. If I don't give you a history and I said this was an incidental renal mass, you would have to say cystic renal cell carcinoma. When a patient is febrile, you better be thinking abscess because it can look very much the same. It's cystic with a thickened wall, a little bit low density. Very nice example. You can see it in 3D and on delayed phase imaging. It can be very challenging to distinguish an abscess from a necrotic tumor just on imaging alone. And another example is this case. Left kidney, it looks like a mass, but there it is with contrast, decreased enhancement, septations, thickened wall. And again, this looks like a cystic renal cell carcinoma. This was a large abscess. So it can be challenging. Sometimes it's not so challenging. Look at this case, large mass, cystic, and there's something involving the paraspinal muscles as well as the abdominal wall. This is the classic appearance of xanthrogranulomas polynephritis. It's an infectious etiology, and the classic thing is large staghorn calculus, large kidney, caliectasis, and extension through the patient's abdominal wall, which is nicely seen in this example. So you can see here with xanthrogranulomas polynephritis, it could involve the whole kidney or only portions of the kidney. The calyces are markedly dilated. Everything is distorted. Now this patient has some renal function. The thing about XGP, it's usually a diabetic, it's usually a patient who has multiple comorbidities. Symptoms include pain and frequency, dysuria, fever. Um, again, the key for this is some of the findings. And this is a paper I wrote a very long time ago but that large stalcone calculus, decreased renal function, enlarged kidneys is usually unilateral, and the extra renal involvement, particularly by the psoas muscle. Some of the other facts, chronic destructive granulomatous process, diabetes, only 10% of cases, though in general infections are more common in diabetes, more common in females, more common in middle age, and again, history, pyuria, and positive cultures are very classic. Same article by Goldman, uh, perirenal and pararenal space involvement is very classic. And so another example, there is some function here, but look at the size of the kidney, look at the dilatation of the calyces, distortion, perirenal and pararenal space involvement. How often do you see things go into the patient's uh, posterior abdominal wall by direct extension from the kidney? If you put a stent in place and that caused the bleeder infection perhaps, but straight on no nephrostomy tube or any other complication, this is always gonna be xanthrogranulomas polynephritis. Here's the coronal views. We see this very infrequently. Now another infrequent infection is emphyseminous polynephritis. Look at the kidney on the left, it's gone. It's mainly air and a little bit of cortex, but there's no real function. Emphyseminous polynephritis is a life-threatening necrotic infection of the kidneys. Most of the patients, better than 90% of poorly controlled diabetics, 
They're immunosuppressed and classically E. coli, Klebsiella, and Proteus are the ones that do it. Some of the findings about emphysematous polynephritis, the kidney can be normal size or can be large. Air bubbles, when you see air in something and you haven't done anything, it's emphysematous something or other. Emphysematous cholecystitis, emphysematous gastritis, emphysematous pancreatitis, emphysematous cystitis, and here, emphysematous polynephritis. Okay. Now, what else? Another thing you can miss, again, I've spoken the limitations of non-contrast CT with missing masses and missing infection. But what about this patient with hematuria where the axials and the coronals look good? But when I give IV contrast, look at this giant AV malformation you totally missed. There it is, and there it is coronal. Dilatation of the calyces, large vascular lesion, AV shunting. And when you put it side by side, the pre and the post contrast, there's a little fullness on the pre-contrast, but it's very subtle. And you never would have called this AV malformation. AV malformations are, may be acquired or congenital. They're pretty rare. Hematuria is a major symptom, and so these patients get worked up. And if nobody recognizes it, you could make a mistake and consider other possibilities. Congenital renal malformations or AV malformations or fistulae are the most uncommon form, but their incidence may be underestimated because patients are usually asymptomatic. Another example, look at this case. The renal pelvises look full and the renal veins look big. And I'll show you the excretory phase. Look how big those veins are. And the pelvis, is particularly on the right, looks full. Here's the coronal. I ask you what's going on. Are these parapelvic cysts with vicarious excretion of contrast material? Are these tumors? Are these nodes? What the heck are we dealing with here? Go back to arterial. Look at that AV shunting. Look at the venous involvement. The, vein, the renal veins are appearing as soon as we have the aorta. You can see it here very nicely. Look at the drainage of the left renal vein and right renal vein into the IVC, back into the heart. Just a beautiful example there and there as well. And so this was a fistula, but you can see AV malformation, a very nice example, early filling of the veins, huge renal veins. Again, IV contrast makes life easy. Now, when we speak about vascular processes, we always need to bring up renal vein thrombosis. It occurs in patients with nephrotic syndrome, hypercoagulability states. could be from trauma. could be from extension from IVC or ovarian vein thrombosis. The findings are pretty straightforward. Thrombus in the renal vein. It may be partial or total. Nephromegaly, particularly acute. You may see prolonged cortical measure of differentiation. That's classic and acute. You may see thickening of the renal fascia or stranding of the perinephric fat. Example, this patient had a right nephrectomy. This thrombus in the left renal vein. Imagine this study non-contrast. It would have been read as negative. This patient was treated for that thrombosis. Again, just a beautiful example of that. What else? In the terms of vascular, renal infarction. It's a great mimicker of laceration. It's a great mimicker of polynephritis. Typically trauma, embolism from the heart, particularly atrial appendage, embolization from catheters. Usually it's segmental, but it can be global. It can be part of a kidney-only problem or part of multiple organ system problems. You can't see acute and chronic 
uh, infarcts as well. And symptoms range anywhere from acute flank pain to fever to hematuria. So some examples, and as I mentioned, global involvement is less common than segmental involvement. So you can see a relatively normal kidney and portions would be involved. You can see global infarction, and then you have rim enhancement through capsular vessels. Here's a nice example of right kidney. You can see the decreased enhancement. It's much sharper than you see with polynephritis. And you also notice the renal artery has thrombus into it, extending into that segment. Beautiful example here of the thrombus in the patient's renal artery on the right side. And I'll make it easy. I'll give you an arrow. You see it right there. Or this case where the patient has acute thrombus uh, in the atrium and now has renal infarcts. You can see there's bilateral infarcts mainly left, and it's global. Nicely shown there and there as well. This case, a great example, patient had two cardiac issues. One was an aberrant, right, aberrant origin or anomalous origin of the right coronary from the left cusp, and then an atrial uh, thrombus. And sure enough, the patient had abdominal pain and fever, and there's infarcts of the patient's left kidney. The section you can see there, you don't see that many cases of infarcts post the section, but here you can see it. Or this example, this patient had repair of the left renal artery, routine follow-up, patient had some flank pain. You don't see the renal artery. You see the kidney, it's small, it's infarcted with some peripheral rim enhancement. When you try to save a kidney, you basically have six hours. This was many days later. So renal infarct, again, low density when it's global. Classic thing is rim enhancement. Polynephritis, obstruction, you don't see that cortical rim enhancement that you see in this case. Just a very nice example of renal infarction. Now the last thing I want to speak about was ureteral tumors. I've spoken about that in a prior talk, but I want to just make some points that ureteral tumors are very easy to miss. They're in older patients I know, and patients often have other primaries. And the findings are subtle, maybe just some ureteral thickening, maybe some increased enhancement, maybe some mass effect perhaps. We know it can occur in any part of the uh, pelvis or ureter. Um, most commonly within the ureter itself, TCCs are much more common proximally than distally. And the challenge is being able to find the pathology. It's very easy to miss when it's often small and doesn't cause obstruction. And as we'll show you, using MIP imaging tends to work very well to help you in this regard. Now, I've gone through protocols before, but our protocols do have good distension. And so in the majority of cases, we have good visualization. So we can see duplicated collecting systems, as in this case on the left side. I mentioned before we do five-minute delays. We don't want things to be too dense, and we don't want artifact. We don't want things to be too bright. And five minutes a case helps you do more cases in the day. We talk about the role of 3D. It's picking up subtle lesions because it picks up transitions when there's no obstruction. If I showed you this case of the right ureter, it's easy. It's obstructed, and there's a mass proximally. And when you give IV contrast, you see the enhancement of the ureter, the rim enhancement, and there's the mass, okay? Nothing very tricky. It's mildly vascular, but in this case, very mild. Or in this example where the, uh, you see the ureter and it's dilated, and you see a soft tissue mass, and that's surely going to be the tumor. 
Okay, very, very simple. No problem at all. Now, we talk about the ureter opacified, and then we ask the question, what happens when the ureter is obstructed? What do you do then? Well, um, that's a challenge, okay? But what's easy is that the ureter is like the small bowel. Once it's dilated, urine is just like water. You look for transition zones. And so in this case, when you have a transition zone, it makes it very easy. Sometimes, like in this MR, the patient had back pain and someone saw the ureter, didn't know why it was dilated, but when you worked it up on the kidney study, you saw the right kidney was smaller, the ureter was dilated, you followed it downward, you saw the transition, here's the coronal view, and that's the patient's transitional cell carcinoma, the classic goblet sign. But again, it's the dilatation and the transition. With IV contrast, it works very nicely. I don't worry that the ureter is not opacified. It could take hours, but there is the transition point. Another example here, dilated renal pelvis, dilated right ureter. You follow it downward, and there's the transition point. Here it is obliqued. This is transitional cell carcinoma. If you pick it up early, it's great. If you pick it up late, this was missed a few times. Now you have liver metastasis. So again, very important differential diagnosis, very, very important pitfall. And I wanted to really uh, make you think about that. Now, when we talk about ureteral thickening, it's more predictive of tumor in the pelvic heel system than in the ureter. In contrast, filling defects were more predictive in the ureter than in the pelvic heel system of tumor. So let me share an example. You look at this case and you say, left kidney, the pelvis is full. You give contrast, the enhancement is delayed on the left. This is where I, we uh, were able to know that there's something going on on the left because there are perfusion changes, there's obstruction and delayed enhancement. And you look carefully and you say, aha, the ureter looks thickened, but what's going on? Maybe it's a UPJ. You look on the right side, there's a gap there. Maybe there's something in the right ureter. But you look more carefully at the left ureter and right ureter, and when you track going back on the tracking images, looking at the left ureter, you can see it's thickened, and that patient has a transitional cell carcinoma. There's no if, ands, or buts. That's an infiltrating tumor. Now, an important point to make, and I made this in the last talk, was that it can be subtle. This patient has no obstruction. But if you look at the left ureter, mid-third, you can see there's an infiltrating process. It's very, very subtle. It can be very easy to miss. So I think when I speak about pitfalls in the GU track, I have to emphasize that the ureter can be very challenging. And I know we can see thickening of the ureter in infection. TB, fungus, schistosomes can do this, but those are pretty uncommon. And so you gotta be thinking about tumor. Once in a while, it will be infection. Infection can cause thickening of the ureters. Here you see thickening of the renal pelvis and ureters bilaterally. So again, it's something you need to be thinking about. So not everything that involves the ureter is tumor. It may be, as in this case, it may be inflammatory. Now I've showed you a few cases before about the ureter. Here's just a nice example of the patient's we're following the ureters downward, 
and then we take away the bone and there's a crescent in the ureter you can see I've circled it it's very subtle but you look at the coronal views there's a one sonomial TCC so I think the takeaway messages when you're looking at the ureter you have to look at things beyond the axial plane and in this case you would have seen the tumor if you looked at the 3d mapping so again it's very nicely shown there now when you ask the question about other times proper ureteral tumors we talk about the fact that there are other things besides TCC and I'll just mention as patients live longer with certain tumors you can see in this case is a filling defect in the ureter you can think about blood clot polyp this was metastatic melanoma you see the filling defect very nicely there and you can see it very nicely as you go to the 3d map so indeed it becomes very important I also want to make the point that not everything that obstructs the ureter is tumor here's an example of a topic insertion of the ureter you should think about that and if you look at these images what you can see is if you, if you track down through the images you can see that the patient's uh, left kidney shows a dilated ureter and we track it all the way down and it empties down into the uh, seminal vesicles and prostate and you can see it particularly nicely on the coronal view uh, again ectopic insertion of the ureter can cause massive obstruction it can insert in many different locations ectopic ureter is defined as the abnormal insertion of the ureter it occurs in the posterior urethra in about half of the cases it can go to seminal vesicles vas deferens and the like it's a rare uh, anomaly more common in women and in those cases presentation is often incontinence so again a very important finding there have been several articles this article by uh, Subrabhi talks about the ectopic ureter over 80% of ectopic ureters are associated with duplicated systems and involve the upper pole moiety so that's something to consider uh, and again the fact that it empties into a range of different locations a bit different in male and a bit different in female but the concept is the same and it's something you need to think about because often CT will be the first one making the diagnosis and I've given you these references you can read about that a little bit more so let me end there and just say that the kidney is a common source of error in body CT errors are common on scan interpretation errors are common because of protocols errors are common because of subtle findings that are overlooked constant attention to the process is the key and all of us do lots of renal imaging but to quote Don Henley there is always something to learn and with that have a great day